The Author's Preface Men and brethren, the Eternal God, who made you for a life everlasting and has redeemed you by His only Son, when you had lost it and yourselves, being concerned about you in your sin and misery, has given us the gospel, has sealed it by His Spirit, and has commanded His ministers to preach it to the world. With pardon being freely offered to you, and heaven being set before you, He calls you away from your fleshly desires, and away from following after this deceitful world, and desires to acquaint you with the life that you were created and redeemed for, before you are dead and past remedy. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 16 He does not send you prophets or apostles who receive their message by immediate revelation, but He calls you by His ordinary ministers, who are commissioned by Him to preach the same gospel that Christ and His apostles first delivered. The Lord sees how you forget Him, and your latter end, and how you give little consideration to everlasting things as people who do not understand what they have to do or suffer. He sees how bold you are in sin, how fearless you are of His threatenings, how careless you are of your souls, and how the works of unbelievers are in your lives, while the belief of Christians is in your mouths. He sees the dreadful day at hand, when your sorrows will begin and you must lament all this with unavailing cries, in torment and desperation. The remembrance of your folly will then tear your hearts, if true conversion does not prevent it now. In compassion to your sinful, miserable souls, the Lord, who knows your situation better than you can know it, has made it our duty to speak to you in His name. 2 Corinthians 5.19 And to tell you plainly of your sin and misery, what your end will be, and how sad a change you will soon see even if you continue a little longer. Having bought you at such a precious cost as the blood of His Son Jesus Christ, and having made you such a free and general promise of pardon, grace, and everlasting glory, he commands us to offer all this to you as the gift of God, and to plead with you to consider the necessity and worth of what he offers. He sees you and has compassion on you, even while you are drowned in worldly cares and pleasures, eagerly following childish toys, and wasting that short and precious time to pursue emptiness and vanity when you should be preparing for an everlasting life. Therefore he has commanded us to pursue you and tell you how you will lose your labor and are about to lose your souls. He has commanded us to tell you also what greater and better things you could certainly have if you would listen to his call. Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3 We believe and obey the voice of God and we come to you with his message. He has commanded us to preach, and to be ready in season and out of season. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 2. To lift up our voice like a trumpet, and show you your transgressions and your sins. Isaiah 58, verse 1. 
Tragically, to the grief of our souls and to your ruin, you stop your ears, stiffen your necks, harden your hearts, and send us back to God with tears to tell him that we have obeyed his commands and have delivered his message, but that it will do you no good. Nor did you even take it seriously. Oh, that our eyes were as fountains of tears, so that we might lament our ignorant, careless people who have Christ and pardon and life and heaven before them, but do not have hearts to know or value them. Jeremiah 9, verse 1. They could have Christ and grace and glory just as others do, if it were not for their willful negligence and contempt. Oh, that the Lord would fill our hearts with more compassion to these wretched souls, so that we might cast ourselves even at their feet. Follow them to their houses and speak to them with our bitter tears. We have preached to many of them for a long time in vain. We speak plainly to make them understand, but many of them will not understand us. We speak serious, piercing words to make them feel, but they will not feel. If the greatest matters would work with them, we would wake them. If the sweetest things would work, we would persuade them and win their hearts. If the most alarming things would work, we would at least frighten them from their wickedness. If truth and sincerity would work with them, we would soon convince them. If the God who made them and the Christ who bought them would be heard, the case would soon be different with them. If Scripture would be heard, we would soon prevail. If reason, even the best and strongest reason, would be heard, we would undoubtedly quickly convince them. If they would listen to experience, even their own experience and the experience of all the world, the matter would be remedied. Yes, if they would listen to the conscience within them, the situation would be better with them than it is. But if they will listen to nothing, if they refuse to hear anything, then what can we do for them? If the Almighty God of heaven is ignored or disregarded, who, then, will they regard? If the immeasurable love and blood of Redeemer is ignored, what then will they value? If heaven has no desirable glory with them and everlasting joys are worth nothing to them, if they can joke about hell, laugh about the bottomless pit, and play with the consuming fire, and can do so when God and man warn them of it, what can we do for such souls as these? Once more, in the name of the God of heaven, I will deliver to you the message that he has commanded us, and will leave it in these lines to convert you or condemn you, to change you or rise up in judgment against you, and to be a witness to your faces that you once had a serious call to turn from your ways and turn to God. Hear, all you who are workers of the world and servants of the flesh and Satan, listen, you who spend your days in looking after prosperity on earth and who drown your consciences in drinking, in gluttony, in idleness, and in foolish sports, you are aware of your sin, yet you will continue in sin, as if you set God at defiance, 
and ask him to do his best and not hold back. Listen, all you who pay no attention to God, who have no heart for holy things, and who feel no delight in the word or worship of the Lord, or in the thoughts or mention of eternal life. Hear, you who are careless of your immortal souls, and never give one hour in inquiring about your situation, whether you are sanctified or unsanctified, and whether you are ready to appear before the Lord. Listen, all you who by sinning in light have sinned yourselves into faithlessness, and who do not believe the word of God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear the gracious and yet fearful call of God. His eye is always upon you. Your sins are recorded, and you will surely hear of them again. God keeps the book now, and he will write it upon your consciences with his terror. And then you will also keep it yourselves. O sinners, if you only knew what you were doing and whom you are offending all this time, the sun itself is darkness before the glory of that majesty whom you daily abuse and carelessly provoke. The sinning angels were not able to stand before him, but were cast down to be tormented with devils and dare such worms as you so carelessly offend and set yourselves against your Maker. Oh, that you even understood a little what a dreadful situation that wretched soul is in who has opposed the living God. The word of his mouth that made you can unmake you. The frown of his face will cut you off and cast you out into outer darkness. How eager the demons who have tempted you are to be dealing with you. They simply wait for the word from God to take and use you as their own, and then, in a moment, you will be in hell. If God is against you, all things are against you. For all who love this world, this world is only your prison. You are merely reserved in it to the day of wrath. Job 21, verse 30. The judge is coming and your soul is going. Yet a little while, and your friend will say of you, He is dead. Then you will see the things that you now despise, and you will feel that which now you will not believe. Death will bring such an argument that you cannot answer. It will be an argument that will powerfully discredit your arguments against the word and ways of God. Then your mind will quickly be changed. Then be an unbeliever, if you can. Then stand by all your former words that you were inclined to utter against a holy and heavenly life. Then make good that cause before the Lord that you were inclined to plead against those who taught the Bible and against the people who feared God. Then stand by your old opinions and contemptuous thoughts of the diligence of the saints. Make ready now your strong reasons, and then stand up before the judge and plead like a man for your fleshly, worldly, and ungodly life. However, know that you will be pleading with one who will not be intimidated by you, nor will be as easily evaded as your fellow creatures. O oh, deceived, wretched soul, there is nothing but a slender veil of flesh between you and that amazing sight 
that will quickly silence you, change your tone, and make you of another mind. As soon as death has drawn this curtain, you will see that which will quickly leave you speechless. How quickly that day and hour will come, when you have had only a few more light-hearted hours, only a few more pleasant meals, and just a little more of the honors and riches of the world, your portion will be spent, and your pleasures will be ended. And then all is gone that you had set your heart upon. Of all that you sold your Savior and salvation for, there is nothing left but the bitter reckoning, giving an account to God for your life. As a thief who sits happily in a tavern spending the money that he has stolen, as men are quickly coming to apprehend him, so is it with you. While you are drowned in cares of fleshly pleasures and delighting in your own shame, death is coming quickly to seize you and to carry your soul to such a place and state that you now little know or think about. Suppose when you are bold and active in your sin that a messenger were quickly coming to apprehend you and take away your life. Even if you did not see him, if you knew that he was coming, it would ruin your fun, for you would be thinking of how soon he will arrive, and you would be listening for his knock at your door. Oh, that you could only see what haste death makes, even though he has not yet overtaken you. There is no messenger as swift or certain, as sure as the sun will be with you in the morning, although it has many thousand and hundred thousand miles to go in the night, death will be quickly and certainly with you. Then where will your sport and pleasure be? Will you then joke and continue your opposition? Will you then mock those who warned you? Is it better than to be a believing saint or a carnal person who delights in the things of this world? Then whose will all these things be that you have gathered? Luke 12, verses 19 through 21. Do you not observe that days and weeks are quickly gone, that nights and mornings come swiftly, and that they speedily follow each other? You sleep, but your damnation does not slumber. You linger, but your judgment, to which you are reserved for punishment, lingers not. 2 Peter 2, verses 3 through 9. Oh, that you would be wise and understand this, and that you would consider your latter end. Deuteronomy 32, verse 29. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear the call of God in this day of his salvation. Oh, careless sinners, I wish you only knew the love that you unthankfully neglect and the preciousness of the blood of Christ that you despise. Oh, that you only knew the riches of the gospel. Oh, that you only knew a little of the certainty, the glory, and the blessedness of that everlasting life that you will not now set your hearts upon, or be persuaded to seek diligently now. Matthew 6, verse 13, Hebrews 11, verse 6, and 12, verse 28. If you only knew the endless life with God that you now neglect, you would quickly cast away your sin, change your mind and life, change your course and company, turn the direction of your devotion, 
and spend your energy and time another way. How resolutely you would despise giving in to those temptations that now deceive you and lead you astray. How zealously you would pursue that most blessed life for yourself. How earnest you would be with God in prayer. How diligent you would be in hearing, learning, and inquiring. How serious you would be in meditating on the laws of God. Psalm 1, verse 2. How fearful you would be of sinning in thought, word, or deed. How careful you would be to please God and grow in holiness. Oh, what a changed person you would be. Why should not the sure word of God, which opens to you these glorious and eternal things, be believed by you and prevail with you? Yes, let me tell you that even here on earth you do not much understand the difference between the life you refuse and the life you choose. The sanctified are conversing with God while you dare hardly think of Him, and when you are conversing with mere earth and flesh. Their conversation is in heaven, yet you are complete strangers to heaven. Your belly is your God, and you are occupied with earthly things. Philippians 3, verses 18 through 20. They are seeking after the face of God, but you seek for nothing higher than this world. They are busily storing up treasure for an endless life, where they will be equal with the angels. Luke 20, verse 36. But you are preoccupied with a shadow and a fleeting thing of emptiness. How low and cheap your earthly, fleshly, sinful life is in comparison with the noble spiritual life of true believers. I have often looked on such people with grief and pity as I saw them trudge about the world wasting their lives and caring and laboring for nothing but a little food and raiment, a little fading money, fleshly pleasures or empty honors as if they had nothing higher with which to concern themselves. What difference is there between the lives of these people and of the beasts that perish, that spend their time working, eating, and living only that they may live? They do not taste the inward heavenly pleasures that believers taste and live upon. I would rather have a little of their comfort which the anticipation of their heavenly inheritance provides them, even if I had all their scorn and suffering with it, than to have all your pleasures and deceitful prosperity. I would not take one of your secret stings of conscience and dark and dreadful thoughts of death and the life to come for all that the world has ever done for you, or all that you can reasonably hope that it might do. If I were in your unconverted carnal state and knew only what I know and believed only what I now believe, I think my life would be a foretaste of hell. How often I would be thinking of the terrors of the Lord and of the dreary day that is hastening on. Certain death and hell would still be waiting for me. I would think of them by day and dream of them by night. I would lie down in fear. Rise in fear and live in fear, afraid that death would come before I were converted. I should have little happiness in anything that I possessed, little pleasure in any company, and little joy in anything in the world, 
as long as I knew that I was under the curse and wrath of God. I would still be afraid of hearing that voice, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Luke 12, verse 20. That dreadful sentence would be written upon my conscience. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Isaiah 48, verse 22. 57, verse 21. O oh, poor sinners, you could live a more joyful life than this if you were only willing, truly willing, to listen to Christ and come home to God. You could then draw near to God with boldness, call Him your Father, and comfortably trust Him with your souls and bodies. If you look upon the promises, you could say, They are all mine. If you look at the curse, you may say, I am delivered from this. When you read the law, you could see what you are saved from. When you read the gospel, you could see him who redeemed you. You could see the course of his love, his holy life, and his sufferings. And you could follow him in his temptations, tears, and blood in the work of your salvation. You could see death conquered and heaven opened and you could see your resurrection and glorification provided for in the resurrection and glorification of your Lord. If you look on the redeemed, you could say, They are my brethren and companions. If you look on the unredeemed, you could rejoice to think that you are saved from that state. If you look upon the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the innumerable stars, you could think and say, My Father's face is infinitely more glorious. He has prepared higher matters for His saints. That is only the outward court of heaven. The blessedness that He has promised me is so much higher that flesh and blood cannot behold it. If you think of the grave, you could remember that the glorified Spirit, the living head, and the loving Father all have such a near relation to your dust in that grace that it cannot be forgotten or neglected, but will more certainly revive than the plants and flowers in the spring, because the soul is still alive, which is the root of the body, and Christ is alive, which is the root of both soul and body. Even death, which is the king of fears, could be remembered and entertained with joy as being the day of your deliverance from the remnant of sin and sorrow, the day that you believed and hoped and waited for, when you will see the blessed things that you had heard of, and will find by present joyful experience what it means to choose the better part, Luke 10.42, and to be a sincere, believing saint. What do you say? Is it not a more delightful life to be assured of salvation and to be ready to die than to live as the ungodly, who have their hearts overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day comes upon them unawares? Luke 21, verse 34. Could you not live a comfortable life if you were made an heir of heaven and if you are certain to be saved when you leave the world? Look around you, then, and consider what you do. Do not cast away such hopes as these for mere nothing. The flesh and the world can give you no such hopes or comforts.
I have just three requests to ask you, and I will be done. One, I ask you to seriously read over this small book. You also have family members who need it, so I ask you to read it over and over to them. If those who fear God would occasionally go to their neighbors and give this or some other book to them on this subject, they might be a means of winning souls. If people will not be persuaded to take such a small amount of effort for their own salvation as to read such short instructions as these, they do not much regard themselves and will most rightly perish. 2. After you have read over this book, I would urge you to go alone and think a little about what you have read and consider, as in the sight of God, whether it is true whether its message does not hit close to your soul, and whether it is not time to take these matters seriously in your own life. I also request you to get upon your knees and seek the Lord. Ask Him to open your eyes to understand the truth and to turn your hearts to the love of God. Beg Him for all that saving grace that you have so long neglected and continue to do this every day until your hearts are changed. Even more, I ask you to go to your godly pastors, who are set over you to take care of the health and safety of your souls, just as physicians do for the health of your bodies, and desire them to direct you in what course to take, acquainting them with your spiritual condition so that you may have the benefit of their advice and ministerial help. If you do not have a faithful pastor at home, make use of some other godly person for this great need. 3. When by reading, consideration, prayer, and ministerial advice you are then acquainted with your sin and misery, with your duty and remedy, do not delay, but immediately forsake your sinful company and routine, and turn to God and obey His call. If you love your souls, Take care that you do not continue in your ways against so loud a call of God and against your own knowledge and conscience, lest it will go worse with you in the day of judgment than with Sodom and Gomorrah. Matthew 10, verse 15. Inquire of God as a man who is willing to know the truth and do not stubbornly cheat your soul. Search the Holy Scriptures daily and see whether these things are so. Acts 17, verse 11. Examine impartially whether it is safer to trust heaven or earth, whether it is better to follow God or man, the spirit or the flesh, whether it is better to live in holiness or sin, and whether an unsanctified state is safe for you to abide in one day longer. When you have found out which is best, decide accordingly and make your choice without any more delay. If you desire to be true to your own souls and do not love everlasting torments, I urge you, as from the Lord, that you will simply take this reasonable advice. Then, at your deathbed, how boldly we might comfort and encourage your departing souls. At your burial, how comfortably might we leave you in the grave in expectation of meeting your souls in heaven and of seeing your bodies raised to that glory.
However, if most of you will continue in a careless, ignorant, carnal, worldly, or unholy life, and all our desires and labors cannot so much prevail as to keep you from knowingly condemning yourselves, we must then imitate our Lord, who delights himself in those few who are jewels, and in a little flock that will receive the kingdom, when most people will reap the misery that they sowed. In nature, excellent things are few. The world does not have many suns or moons. Only a little of the earth is gold or silver. Princes and nobles make up only a small part of the sons of men. There are not a great number of people who are learned, judicious, or wise here in this world. Therefore, since the gate is straight and the way is very narrow, Matthew 7, verse 14, and there are only few who find salvation, God will still have His glory and pleasure in those few. When Christ will come with His mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, His coming will be glorified in His saints and admired in all true believers. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7-10 through 10. And for the rest, as God the Father condescended to create them, and God the Son did not refuse to bear the penalty of their sins upon the cross, and did not judge such sufferings vain, although He knew that by refusing the sanctification of the Holy Spirit they would finally destroy themselves, so we who are his ministers do not judge our labor completely lost, even though these people are not gathered. See Isaiah 49, verse 5. Reader, my part with you will be over once you have read this book, but sin is not yet done with you, even those sins that you thought had been forgotten long ago. Satan is not yet done with you either, although he may now be out of sight. Nor is God done with you simply because you will not be persuaded to be finished with deadly, reigning sin. I have written you this work of persuasion as one who is going into another world where the things are seen that I mention here, and as one who knows that you must soon be there yourself. If you will ever meet me with comfort before the Lord who made us, if you will ever escape the everlasting plagues prepared for the final neglectors of salvation, and for all who are not sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and who do not love the communion of the saints as members of the Holy Universal Church. And if you ever hope to see the face of Christ the Judge and the majesty of the Father with peace and comfort, and to be received into glory when you are turned out of this world with nothing, then I plead with you. I instruct you to hear and obey the call of God and to resolutely turn so that you may live. However, if you will not, even when you have no true reason for it except that you will not, I summon you to answer it before the Lord, and I require you to bear witness there that I gave you warning, and that you are not condemned for lack of a call to turn and live, but because you would not believe it and obey it. This must also be the testimony of your sincere author, Richard Baxter. December 11, 1657